thought-provoking stories, and insights from around the globe by your favorite athletes. This is the Athlete's Obsession, brought to you by Obsesh. This week on the podcast, I talked to Zeke Marshall, a professional basketball player who wants to help other athletes become more financially literate. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Athletes Obsession podcast presented by Obsesh as usual. This is your host Dalton Allison and this week I'm joined by professional basketball player Zeke Marshall. Zeke, how are you doing today? Doing well, how are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm excited to have someone like you on the platform. I think you're probably breaking the record for the tallest person ever on the Athletes Obsession podcast. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I mean, I've broken a number of records of me being as tall as I am. You know, most of the time, the tallest person anyone's ever seen in their lives. So I get approached all the time with that. So it was surprising. So this is the Athletes Obsession podcast. So I need to ask you, what is your obsession? My obsession is basketball. You know, I've been playing basketball for a long time. So I, I grew up, my father is a, is a legend in this area, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this entire area. My dad is a, everyone, everyone knows who my father is in this area. Uh, he is in the Hall of Fame in Marble Moores, also the Hall of Fame in State. Um, he's been inducted to a number of Hall of Fames already, and he's still getting some accolades even to this day of that, even though he's 70 years old. So it's, um, I've come from a long line of basketball when it comes to that, but uh, when it comes to my particular game, it took me a while to develop my love for basketball the way I have it now. Um, now I was forced into it in a way because of my father and how tall I was. As I learned and got you know, more comfortable in my own skin, especially once I got into high school and more so college, that's when I really started dedicating myself into craft. Now, even though I didn't love the game, I was still dedicated. Even though when I, when I was a kid, I had no summers off. I would always AU right after school. You know, um, after the high school basketball season, it was right into AU, and I'd done that nonstop from sixth grade on, and I haven't stopped since. That's basically what's been my life, and now I'm 30. So I've been playing a basketball for a long, long time. When was it that you first picked up a basketball and started playing? I mean, I picked up the basketball when I was a mini kid, as in, like, I was four or five. I mean, back then, my dad was still playing. And it's sad because back then, I hear when people talk about my father, and I'm, I know my dad, but I've never seen him play. And anyone who speaks about him, talks about just how vicious he was when he played. I mean, he was competing with NBA players at the time, even though he was only 6'6", six, six, but he had a toughness to him that born in the 1950s, you had to learn. Men back then just had to be tougher. My dad was a welder, even after he got done, he was a border maker, so he worked very hard, so he made sure I had a basketball in my hand when he was traveling all around playing his basketball games. He tossed a basketball in my hand, and he did what he could, I'll say that, but even though I was reluctant to play it, uh, eventually, as with all kids, if, you, if you're watching and you're rounded enough, you're kind of starting to kind of give it a try. And that's what I did. Um, and it, just, it took me a minute to find the love for the game, though, because unfortunately, because I was so tall, my father, who he was, everyone was, see, you play 
basketball. You going to play basketball? You need to get in the weight room. They, you need to get stronger. They, you need to do this. I'm like, eh, man, I don't want to play no more. It took me until I found what I wanted to do. And then that's why I developed my love for that game. So, yeah, I've been playing basketball for a while. Did you have a favorite player growing up? And if you did, how did they influence you? I did have a favorite. I have. I looked up to two players in particular. I looked up to Bill Neal, of course. I mean, I was, I was a Magic fan when I was a kid. I like just seeing, one, how much fun he would have when he was playing. Um, like, it, me being a professional, it's a very hard thing to be able to play this game professionally while having fun. I, I'm in the belief that there are, uh, is, when you're dealing with your passions and, and money, it's a spectrum, and there are two ends of the spectrum. You have money and you have passion. You're never the same very hard to mix the balance and a few who do are the cream of the crop the Stephen Curry's LeBron James the Wayne Ways those guys those guys you see them having fun dancing all that stuff what you don't see is that the the, the, the eighth seed the ninth seed the, the, the tenth the, the, the tenth guy the eleventh guy you don't see those guys those guys aren't having fun those guys are either losing their job or getting weighed or getting sent home or it's a really doggy dog world out there and if you don't produce and make money, which is what LeBron, Shaquille, and you know, those guys did, you can't afford to have fun. So, and I didn't realize that back then, but you, know, you I mean, you look at Shaq now, he is a genius entertainer. I mean, he, he appears in movies, he, you know, he had video games, he had shoes, he's done very well in the self business. So I really looked up to that. Um, and the other guy I really looked up to in my basketball game is Tim Duncan, especially. Tim Duncan's very... Um, very sound. Everyone likes to parody him because I look like him. Uh, but I had a touch. I, I love his his simpleness to the game, and I'm trying to actually develop that now. I'm trying to develop how to become a lot more simpler when I play. And you normally go through this transition to get older. Well, I mean, I still have my athleticism, but I definitely want to be able. I admire those guys who can slowly and comfortably play the game at a high level, but go at their own speed. I mean, I've watched guys get slow. It ain't about how fast you can get to the spot. It's about how you get there, how you can control your defender, and then make them do what you want them to do. And Tim Duncan did that all the time. And you saw the, the fruits of it by him playing until he was almost 40 years old. Don't see that. You don't see professional players when he's 40. That's very rare. Uh, most professional careers only last two to three years. And then you have Tim Duncan, who's playing 15. I mean, yeah, I think it was 15 years. No, no, it was longer than that. I think it was 18 years. So it's like he, he that's a very long career. So yeah, you, you only get that point by learning some tricks to the trade and learning how to beat these guys who only think speed's everything. And don't get me wrong, speed and, and, and athleticism will get you a, get you pretty far. LeBron James, prime time reason for that. But skill will always trump that if you understand how to play the game in a way where. I mean, I've experienced it as me being a professional. You know, poking someone in the stump when they shoot the three. Your core's not strong enough to take that hit. You're going to miss. And then OJ going to care that you miss. All they care about is you don't have points on the board. So they don't care why you miss. You need to develop it. But that's just one small thing. So that's ultimately what ends up happening for me when it comes to um, the players I look up to. Did you take anything from Shaq's or Tim Duncan's game and try to apply it to your own? Yes, I, uh, Tim Duncan, when it comes to the mid-range jump shot, I am very, I, I uh, love his bank shot. Um, the bank shot is, is if you do it, if you understand how to do it correctly, it's a shot that you can always shoot under pressure. 
And that's one of the great things about it. Cause when you're really shooting a jump shot, you're shooting, it's like you're aiming it, but it's tested. If someone's running after you and you're shooting it or you're rushing it too. And your, your timing can be off. But the difference between the bank shot, which is why the bank shot has always been so good is you hit a particular spot on a backboard, it will almost always go in. Now, yes, you'll have your outliers. Very, very rarely you'll have your outliers where if you hit it too hard, if you shoot it too hard, then you have to bounce off. But almost 9.9 out of 10 times, you hit it in that top of that square, it will almost always go in. And to me, that is with pressure. That's when someone has a hand in your face. You don't have to worry about, oh, I need to aim this correctly. It, you know, hit that one spot on that backboard and you'll be fine. As you go higher, you need to be softer. So as you get up higher in that backboard, which you see with them dunking, it's a much softer touch. And then it goes in. It's a huge spectrum. But that comes from lots of years and lots of you know time in the gym to understand that. So uh, that's what I picked up. And I, I tried to do that throughout my game uh, all the time. So at McKeesport, you really started to stand out from your peers. You were ranked 61st for the class of 2009 by ESPN 100. What was the recruiting process like for you and your family? Man, the recruiting process, that is a talk. Uh, That was a very insane time in my life. If you know about scout.com, I was a four and a half star recruit. Four and a half star as a big is essentially an all-American darn near. There's not a lot of bigs. So when you're competing with other bigs, I was nine in my position. So I was only eight bigs that were better than me. And those bigs are in the main area. Now, DeMarcus Cousins, he was above me. Like, I was in that class. Like, you have some very uh, dominant bigs. And you know, I was up there, of course. So as I'm doing a lot better, I'm averaging darn near triple-double in high school. Like, it, it, it's crazy because for my freshman year, I wasn't that great. I really wasn't ready from freshman year. I, I could barely catch the ball. I mean, I was playing with high-level, well, in my mind, high-level guys. Guys were passing quickly, knew how to do tricks. And my AAU team, we didn't do all this. So I couldn't catch the ball. I was, I was still uncoordinated back then. So it's hard for me to, uh, to gather myself. But that summer, it's crazy. That one summer, I went to AAU. I played really well come back and I'm dominating. I literally went from sitting the bench to darn near starting. And I went from, I mean, doing really not much in my freshman year to now I am the biggest recruit in the country. So it was a very fast change. Um, and I was just talented. I was talented enough to be in that position. And because of that, I got a lot, a lot of looks. At the time, Pitt was number one. I had them knocking on my door, West Virginia, Florida, Kentucky at one point. I mean, Maryland. Ugh, I, I can go down and live so many schools that recruited me at the time. And it was a very daunting process for me, especially since I was an introvert and still am. So I allowed my mom to do a lot of that. My mom was a very expressive of who she was. And she, she, she's much better at handling media because she actually used to be Miss Pennsylvania. So she knows how she had, she knew how to handle the media in a way where she could twist it, which is why if you look, I mean, you look up Mama Zeke, she made a whole name for herself when I was in college because of that. Now, is that a good or bad thing? It's a, it's a spectrum. It could be, it's both good and bad, but um ultimately I, I loved her and i just started reading through the process i mean we had trash bags full of letters i mean 
six, seven, eight full big trash bags with no heavy duty ones full of letters. Just people sending me stuff, sending me stuff, sending me stuff. And I'm just, I, I just at one point, I basically just uh, had a few criteria for me who I wanted to pick. And only, um, and when I did that, I guess you call it culling, only three schools passed. And it was Akron, Harvard, and George Mason. So that's why I, those are my last three schools, which is sad because it should have been more, but you know, and let me know what these what these colleges were thinking at the time. In that same way I was thinking, you know, I, I just, I was a very different type of player. I was on the cover of ESPN Rise Magazine at the time. It's still showing actually in the, uh, high school. And the cover said Zeke Marshall, not your typical superstar, because I had a high grade point average. Now, back then, that was rare. Like back then, there was no, I mean, it's still rare now, but it was really rare back then because social media wasn't that big. So having a black kid coming from McKeesport who's averages had a 3.6 GPA who wanted to go to school for IT. Yeah, that was, I mean, I'm an NBA prospect at the time. So that's, that's, that's a big deal, especially where we're from. So that's kind of where my head was. You know, I wanted to make sure that uh, call a university I chose was going out looking for me and not looking to make money off me, which is unfortunate, you know, you know uh, a lot of schools like to do. Once I found out that, you know, Akron was going to be it, and my mom had a lot to do with it, but I'm still glad I chose Akron because just for the coaching staff alone, I learned a lot when I was there. And I don't think I would have learned as much as I did if I went to another college. So do you think that high intelligence that you brought with you to the court added another skill set to your game? Yes, of course. When I was, see, it's funny because people, <laughs> it used to be a running joke when I was in college, but I had on an interview one time I said, people asked me, why do you block shots so well? Like, how are you, how's your timing so well? And I said, well, because I play video games. And everyone laughed at me about it. And it's like, you see, that, remember, that was back in 2009. People didn't care about it. I remember, I'm, a, I'm still a geek in a lot of people's eyes. So they're not understanding that me playing video games so much, you get, you get a decent hand-eye coordination doing that. And I just translated that on the court. And not only does that intelligence help in that regard, it also helps me when I'm playing defense. Now, as everyone knows, I'm a strong interior defender. Well, why? It's because it's very easy for me to control what other people do. And I've learned that over as, as time went on and as good as I was, and I was talented enough to develop this. But like, for instance, if you're right-handed, I'm forcing you left. Simple as that. I will force you left and make you use your left hand. And, I, and it got better when I got to college because that's what my coach would teach. He said, you should never shoot off your strong hand ever. Should never be able to shoot your strong hand. If you're going to shoot, you're going to go off the left hand. And if you do use your left hand, you're going to be going away from the basket. He just refined my already and my intellect when it comes to defense. I mean, it, it took me so far that on the MAC championship game, and I'm sure that's probably online, on the MAC championship game, there was one point where we I had to guard. It was OU, Ohio University, my senior year, and I had to guard point guard. And I guard, I guard the star point guard the entire game. And I completely shut him down because he was left-handed and I knew he could only go left. So the only choice you have, though, is if you're going left, you're either going to shoot a layup. If you're using your left hand, you're driving, you're either going to shoot a layup or you're going to pass. Now, what most people will do is if you go off your right, you can do a step back. So what do you think I'm doing? I'm waiting. I'm, I'm letting you go right because you can't shoot a layup with your right hand. You shoot a layup with your right hand. I'm blocking it. I was averaging 3.6 blocks a game that, in that year. You're not, you're not going to the basket. 
So that means that's cut out. So what are you going to do? You're going to step back. And then when you step back, you try to shoot a block in that too. Because I know that's what you're going to do. And then when all that didn't work, what do you start doing? You start passing. And now they start losing. And you start falling apart, which is why. And even to this day, we have a record for the biggest uh, point deficit in the MAC championship game. We beat them by like 30. And people were looking at me like, oh, my God, so amazing. I'm like, no, he likes to go left. I made him go right. It's literally, and I was telling all my teammates this, make him go right. Well, it's too hard. No, make him go right. As in, you literally cut it completely off. Don't let him go right. Literally, give him the right hand. Let him go right. And as he does that, he is uncomfortable because he can't shoot off his right. He has to shoot with his left. So you bring it back to the left. I'm blocking you. So which one are you going to do? Now he has to keep going right, and he will. He started driving in. He started going under the basket. Right? Oh, it was funny. I think I had eight blocks on him. Like it was, it was a crazy game. But that's how I use my intellect. You can use it in that way to to really carry yourself past more than just skill. There's a lot too. I mean, a lot of superstars and veterans understand this. You use talent and the intellect. Now, the basketball IQ is so important. If you understand basketball IQ, you can cut so much out. Wasted energy, wasted effort. You don't need to do all that. You understand, you know, how to beat people to spots rather than fighting them over. And I'm like, all right, well, you go ahead and get in front of it. I'll just spin off you and then get the rebound. It's not as simple. <laughs> I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight you. But, uh, you know, you learn that as you get older. So that's how, that's basically what um, helped happen when it comes to my intellect. It's helped me greatly. But it also has hurt me too. I will say that it has hurt me also. So while at Akron, you developed into one of the top centers in the country. You're the all-time leader in blocks for both the Akron Zips and the MAC Conference. What do those records mean to you? It means I put my mark into that school, essentially. I think I did as best. I think I had the most successful careers I could have. I could have, not our team. Our team could have been a lot better, but I could have in that position. And now I think that's what those records mean to me. It's now I can look back and say, well, I had a successful college career. A lot of people wouldn't argue with. Um, I have four rings to show for it. I have no one to go those records. I don't think anyone's going to be beating those records anytime soon. Now, someone could, would not deny that. But as of right now, I highly doubt someone's going to be able to take that record. I will hope someone one day may be. But in the exit to this day, I don't. I think that record is going to be stand for a while, and um, hopefully, I can create a legacy that will allow other athletes to not always look down on mid majors. You know, like here's a place that we can win at and learn something new rather than going to big schools. Even though that is changing now, now that college athletes are getting paid, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna completely change the um, the landscape more than people realize. So, you know, we'll see. So playing professionally has opened the door for you to travel both domestically and internationally. What's been a favorite place of yours that you've played in? Hmm. Uh, I played in a number of countries. Uh, I'll say, honestly, probably the, the fa- most favorite was Lebanon. As crazy as that sounds. Um, even though it was cutthroat and very dangerous sometimes, it was invigorating to, to play in, into a crowd of 12, 13,000 people. It's well, well, it's not well known, but it's known throughout the veterans that in war-torn countries, 
because Lebanon is a war-torn country, unfortunately. A lot of things happened in Lebanon that they just get caught in that Syria, and they get caught in a lot of stuff. Um, the last attack we just had, you know, this summer, um, a few months ago, a huge explosion. Like, that happened in Lebanon. So there's a lot of things that happen, and because of that, a lot of people turn to entertainment. That's why entertainment is so important. That's why I don't like when people talk bad about entertainment the way they do. Because when you're in a situation like that, the only escape from that H-E-L-L that they're going through is entertainment. That is the only thing, that's the only solace they have is to get out and think about something else for two hours. That's why NFL blew up the way it did because of nine of fives, who wins men's bulls. Like, okay, with two hours, I can just sit here, watch football, enjoy myself, live my life through these superstars that we put way too much pressure on sometimes, but understand why we're doing this. It's where they're living a life that you are precariously trying to live through them. And that's why they get paid the way they do. And it's the same thing when we're over there. It's I could see the electrification of these fans. I mean, to the point where we fought our we played our rival games, there was a huge riot. We couldn't even leave the we couldn't even leave the court for three hours after the game because of the riots that were going on outside. But not saying it's a good or bad thing, but ultimately that comes from the passion they have for those teams. And you can see, and now this is where our internet comes in, you can see that emotional, mental energy getting translated of all that you know, stress, all the, um, who knows how many family members they probably are lost. All put that energy into, now I have someone we're going against, all reality. You know, suggest Al Heckman, suggest and all reality. Those are, those are two major powers in Lebanon. And when they're fighting, and they're going against each other, they're, putting, they're directing all that energy toward the other team. Why they were throwing smoke bombs and they were fighting in the middle, but like that's why it happens. So in those situations, that's kind of where I, I enjoy Lebanon. And Lebanon's a gorgeous country, as corrupt as it is, unfortunately. Absolutely gorgeous country. If um unfortunately, like I said, politics it just it's not the same as it is in the US. And that's it's something that's very hard for people who haven't left the country to understand. But it's not like this everywhere. I'm privileged to be in the US. And I'm glad me traveling allowed me to see that more so than I did previously. Being in a place like Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and Tunisia, and you go to some of these countries and you realize just how privileged we have it here. And that's why I, I that's my grounding when it comes to all of it. A passion of yours is helping athletes with their finances. Where did that stem from? Man, now that is a story. So when I came out of college, First thing I did was I talked to a financial advisor that my mom used to go to school with. His name is Rob Wilson. Very, he's on CNBC Money. He's done very well for himself. He's in Philly now. So that was the moment I, the moment I came out of school, I opened up an investment account with him, and I wanted to invest in. You know, I started investing in the stock market. You know, one of my best plays his days Netflix. I was in Netflix 2008-9, made 450 percent of my money with Netflix. I think it was at 500 at one point. Like, I made a lot of made a great return on Netflix. And, and that's not just Netflix either. It's investing in tech companies. I love tech. I love, I mean, I'm a geek, as everyone wants to call it. So I know AMD, Intel, EA. I know all these companies because I buy these things. And that's what I try to teach is when you're investing, invest in what you know. I tell people all the time, especially a lot of athletes, that you, like, you buy these brand new Nikes when they first come out, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Well, if you know a night you're about to sell out, buy stocks right before I have and watch what happens to our share price. It goes up. Like, oh, yeah. See, it's you buy, you, you get into industries that you understand. I understand gaming. 
I understand that Microsoft is absolutely destroying Sony right now. As I'm doing this, and I'm going teaching other, and I'm going and traveling, I'm talking to other athletes, and some of these guys just really, really don't understand what money even is. Like money is a tool. It buys you access. That's what money is. It buys you access. It buys you access to a life that you want. It buys you access to a beach if you want to go to a vacation or or buy you access to a brand new TV. It buys you access. You have enough money, you have access to going there anywhere if you have the money, which is an, another uh, way of uh, associating value. That's why we have a dollar amount this day. You need to understand how to use that value to create more value. And when I'm explaining these things to, in a very simplest term, to some of these athletes, they would have their minds blown because they don't, they've never been taught this. And especially in our community, <laughs> I mean, I mean, don't even, I'm not even talking about our community. Most people don't even understand financial awareness and how to get out of this perpetual, what Robert Kiyosaki would say is, is that rat race. Most people never leave that rat race. They want to live this life that, I mean, we're going through it now. We're in debt. Everyone talks about, oh, we're in debt, so much debt. And you know, we're in student loans and we're this and we're that. Yeah, that's kind of what it's like. And you're paying and you're working to pay off all this debt. You own none of it because you keep having to pay everything off. So because after the Allen Iversons, Allen Iversons is probably the biggest one, but there's a lot of athletes who've gone broke because they didn't understand it. You know, they saw it and said, okay, I don't want to be like this. And they're trying to find ways and they're trying to find the information. And unfortunately, people around them don't they either don't understand or are trying to take advantage of them. And unfortunately, that's the reality of the beast that you're dealing with when it comes to business. And that's why I try to be, which is why I go out of my way to help, because I understand that they are fish waiting to be slot, waiting to be taken away by some of these agents, some of these advisors, some of these guys. Hey, Hey, you invest in this cryptocurrency thing I got, and I'll make you 15% returns. See, if you teach them what real returns are, what stock market returns, small, easily digestible things that, well, for that they can relate to, then you can't just lie to them saying, oh, 20% returns in a month, unrealistic, because I know stock market returns this much a year. So you can't tell me you can make more than that. If you can make more than that, then why are you coming to me? You should be going to Bill Gates. I'm sure he'll easily invest that for you. You can make him 20% returns on his money. But he can't, which is why you're on Facebook Messenger trying to get me. It's a minefield, especially when you're dealing with NBA players. They are easy pickings for some of these people. And if, if, But as long as you understand this, you can uh, leverage that. And that's, what I, and that's really what I'm trying to promote. We need more. If I speak to my community, we need more people like me who understand because ultimately money is power. And if you want to affect change, you must have power at the end of the day. If you don't have power. You can complain and cry all we want. Like, you know, well, they're not giving they're not giving us money for a house. Well, create your own bank. You won't need to go to them no more. Jews do it. Asians do it. Everyone else does it. And there's a reason why they keep in their community that way, because if you really need something, you can go to them for it. But we don't have those. We don't have that privilege, which I get it. I understand why. History. There's a lot of things that led to this. But there's no excuse of why we can just sit down here and just be, you know, not get anything. We have to step up and try to crown. And if more people start thinking this way, we can create our own cities, create our own you no know, town, our own banks. I mean, in Pittsburgh, we have a black-owned bank now, and I appreciate that. Okay. Now keep investing in your community, invest more in your community, invest in cleaning up, investing in inviting more buildings, create better community services. That's how you start building up community. And then as you gain more power, then if you have a hundred million dollars and say, okay, I want to go buy 
hundred acres in in the middle of New York, you could say, well, you have the money. Yeah, here's the money right here. Okay, well here you go. Now, that's what I'm saying. Buys you access. You have enough money, you can get whatever you want. And then racism, whatever you want to call, doesn't exist anymore. Because now you have the money to just say, well, I don't care. You go ahead, go away. I don't need you no more. I have my own stuff. And ultimately, that's where you have to be. Because then you can, at that point, you can do business face to face rather than looking down on you. Now they have to acknowledge you because you have what they want: the money, the influence, the value. You know, you're bringing so much value into the community because you have the best. Uh, um, let's say real estate rehab business, they're going to want to do business with you because you're the best rehab business in the state. I mean, that's how you make money. That's how you know, the world works, I guess. So that's really ultimately what got me into doing it. And it has helped a lot of athletes. It happened in the past six years. And now I've gone to the place in my life where why haven't I not been trying to expand it further than what I've done? And that's what I'm trying to do with Obsession when uh, I was approached. And I saw the mission statement, what you guys are trying to do. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I'm hoping to do. So, yeah, that's basically what, what got me into helping other athletes when it comes to financial literacy. And they would ask. I'll be honest. They would ask. They would hear me speak. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're one of those brainiac guys. I'm like, yeah. I get stereotyped. But, I, yeah, I get it. Do you have questions? My mom, they come back to me in a respectful manner. I have no problem with trying to um, show them this. So, um, they would ask, ask questions. I would tell them, you know, like my small story. Like I have an analogy I always use for athletes, and they always get it. And, they, and once they see it and they understand it, their eyes light up like a Christmas tree. And all of a sudden, now they now they want to invest. Now they want to understand it. It's like, oh, see, yeah, this is what the rich people do. You keep doing this enough, you won't need to work anymore. And this is how you do it. If someone were to book an experience with you on Obsesh, what would they receive? Well. They will receive a number of things, but one, they'll receive any any type of question they have when it comes to basketball, particular finances. Not a financial advisor. I am just an investor who's willing to impart some information that I do know. I will try to break down any type of basketball concept or even mindset concept if that's needed. Um, I will do anything that I have the expertise to do, and I'm hoping my accolades will show that. It's very hard for me to critique exactly what I can do for people because I could do something or not be able to do something. And I don't want to say I can do something and maybe not be able to do it for someone. But what I can say is I have been a professional basketball. I'm a professional now for seven years. I've been playing basketball for almost two and a half, well, almost three times that now. I have a lot of experience. I've traveled the world. I am an investor. I'm also a licensed realtor. I have, I practice what I preach. I constantly practice what I preach. So if anyone has any questions when it comes to helping them trying to you know, develop a budget or learning how to understand what they're missing out on when it comes to investing and how you can turn investing into you being able to retire in five to six, seven years, which is possible, especially in this real estate market right now, you can I, I want to be able to impart that to someone, especially for the people who don't know, because most people don't know. If I can help them with that, that's what I would do. Basketball related, anything basketball related, anything training related. If you need tips on basketball, you need tips on finance, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm trying to do for people. Lastly, if people wanted to keep up with you on social media or other social media like platforms, where could they find you at? All right. Well, currently I have a YouTube channel, which is Zeke Marshall. Uh, you can follow me on YouTube, 
They can follow me on Instagram. I have my Instagram, which is Zeke Marshall with one L. Someone took my two L's. I can't get that one yet. But if I get verified, that's good. Anything, Facebook, Zeke Marshall, I have a, a fan page now that people can follow me on. I'm going to keep it updated. I also have my entire website, ZekeMarshall.com, that I'm actually updating today to, to update some of my accolades and stuff, try to clean up the website so I can be Google verified. So when people look me up on Google, my website will pop up. So if you need to find me, that's essentially the best platforms right now. It's Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Those are probably my three biggest ones I'm trying to focus on and obsessed clearly. So those are really my three, four platforms I'm using. So if anyone wants to follow me, yes, follow me definitely on YouTube and, and Facebook and Instagram. Those will be the biggest places you'll find me. Zeke, it was awesome having you on the Athletes Obsession podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.